truth is, is that I'm going to be a lot better in January, but he's going to still be a fraud. And, and that's the difference between myself and, and uh, other senators that had strokes, too, is that they don't have a doctor ridiculing it and making light of it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Apod Latcha. We are recording this on Halloween Day, Halloween evening, rather, approximately a week before the midterm election. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I've got, I've got kids pounding down my door right now, begging for candy, pleading with me, my wife, our dog, Penny the cat. But I'm up here with the people recording right now because it's how much I care about this show. Now, Callie, you have an opener, and it has to do with Frankie, your dog, your beloved hound, and a costume competition that he won. Is that right? Yes. So uh, I was in Boone for homecoming this last weekend, um, which was very fun. We had a great time with a couple of friends of ours at a little cabin. Um, and we just decided to go watch the game at Appalachian Mountain Brewery, um, which is an App State classic. If you go to Boone, you got to go to AMB. Um, but when we arrived, little did we know that they were hosting a, uh, a benefit for a local shelter. So there was a silent auction. There were certain drinks that were going toward like the, the, the event. Um, there was a dog adoption, a puppy adoption event, which was very cute. But the absolute cherry on top of this already very cute thing was that they were having a dog and human Halloween costume contest. And if you know me, it's that Frankie and I are basically always have something to pull up out of our sleeve, you know, when it comes for sort of event. And so that very day I had gotten Frankie a little tiny, like app state, doggy football jersey and i was all dressed in app state gear and so someone offered they were they were like we you have to be entered i am paying your fee to enter this costume contest uh and i said well okay all right frankie and i are walking in the costume contest and uh i have a video of the whole thing danny was so he was he was very into it uh took a video of the whole thing and and frankie dressed as an appalachian state football player and me dressed as a fan uh one best doggy human duo and it is the cutest thing in the whole world we'll post we'll post a a picture of of frankie in his football uniform um but that was definitely the highlight of my weekend and i want to see pictures i've not seen pictures of this yet i'm pretty disappointed i wasn't there but i i'm not surprised the dynamic duo especially which is i mean how could you not vote for Frankie to win everything. I don't know how you could, but yeah, I honestly, if there had been, if we'd been able to enter multiple categories, I think it would have, we would have swept it. I think it's safe, bet. I think it's good though, to be modest and, uh, and you know, show grace in the face of victory. And I think that's what you're doing. But, uh, speaking of people that aren't modest, let's get into our intro, which is about Jerry Falwell Jr. What a, we've got a wild show today. This is unlike any show you've ever witnessed. That makes it sound way more interesting than it probably is. We're going to be talking about the election. It's a week from when this comes out. So a week from Tuesday, November 1st, 2022, year of our Lord Steve Irwin. And uh, we're going to be doing some election predictions. We've even got a list to go along with that. We've got a great 
under the radar segment. It's actually an interview with Generation West Virginia and a new force. And first, we have a great intro. And we're talking about the king of cucks himself, the legendary evangelical asshole Jerry Falwell Jr. You dedicated listeners of this show may recall back before the pandemic, right before, we were cranking out shows left and right. We had one about Jerry Falwell Jr. And uh, wanting to, I think it was about splitting up the state of West Virginia or Virginia and joining West Virginia. I don't know what the fuck it was about. Either way, we've talked before about Jerry Falwell Jr. and his interest in being a cuckold. And if you don't know what a cuckold is, it's someone who, I guess in this context, like likes to watch his wife fuck other people. Which is not what I'm into, but we don't kink shame on this show. And that's that's not the central argument of this. This is a hilarious story, and I really want to get into it. So I sent you, Callie, a podcast link earlier today. And I think, let me actually just pull up my text messages, because I'm pretty sure I said something to the tune of, Jerry Falwell Jr. got cuckolded at the Greenbrier. In fact, that's exactly what... <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Now, what was your reaction when you heard that? First of all, so my my immediate text reaction was OMG what in all caps um, and begged you to send me the link to the podcast. But in in the back of my head, I was thinking. This is this is classic. This is so perfect. And it's just like it's a it's a tiny, tiny little bird egg that is all about Christian superiority. And we have just seen that egg fall to the ground and smash on the sidewalk. (laughs) I I really that's what I was immediately what I beautiful, beautiful imagery right there. I love that. Well, before we get into that, so Jerry Falwell Jr., most famous for being essentially a real estate developer who moonlights as an evangelical man of God and president of a university, former president, I should say. And most famous for being the son of Jerry Falwell, who is was an evangelical pastor, and he was most famous for suing Hustler Magazine and losing historically eight to zero in front of the Supreme Court because they put an ad in their um, magazine that was fake about his first time having sex. Uh, go look it up. It's it's Hustler versus Falwell. It's a great case, great Supreme Court jurisprudence, something we can't say much anymore, but um, really like it. Anyway, Jerry Falwell Jr., piece of shit. Um, basically, Jerry Falwell Jr. was the president of Liberty University. Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, a very evangelical Christian university, has very strict rules. Like, you can't even... I, I don't even think you can touch a girl if you're a guy unless you've been, I think, saved and cleansed from the Lord. And don't you dare think about touching her when she's on her period because that's you're going to hell, I think. Or before uh, you're actually married to her. You, absolutely. That goes without saying. That goes without saying. Uh, there is actually a story, I think you might have heard in the podcast, where they can't watch like rated R or rated PG-13 movies, and they can't watch movies together with, with the opposite sex, so the guys will sit outside the dorm room and watch the movie through the window of the girl's dorm. Very romantic. Very. So hot. What's great about this story is the hypocrisy. This is a university, this is a man who preaches nothing but sexual purity and purity in any form and and evangelical 
puritanical bullshit. Uh, Christo-fascism, I guess, is, is the new term for it. A and good lo- term. A great term. And lo and behold, it was found out a couple years ago that he had an interesting relationship with his pool boy that stretched beyond the purview of the duties involved with cleaning a pool. This already sounds like a porno movie. I apologize. <laughs> Without going into too much detail, basically what happened was, uh, turns out Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife had the hots for this pool boy, um, and uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. apparently likes to watch his wife get plowed by pool boys, so they had this apparently consensual arrangement where they would do that. But the problem was that Jerry Falwell also put this guy in on his business deals. Shit got fucked, things happened, and uh, some things were leaked, and we all find out that Jerry Falwell Jr. was, um, you know, he liked to be cuckolded. Again, no problem with that, but we're talking about a guy who has made a living off of sexual oppression. Yes. Uh, and so I guess to put this all together, the funniest part of this was there was a tidbit. I guess there's a new documentary out. I think it's on like HBO or Hulu. I have not watched it yet. I'm definitely going to. But apparently one of the places that his wife and the pool boy hooked up while Jerry Falwell Jr. was watching was the presidential suite at the Greenbrier Resort in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Woo! To all of you getting married there and about to get in the presidential suite, just always remember oh my uh, R.I.P. to that presidential suite. No, I, I thought that the, the story itself is just absolutely bonkers. Um, one of the, my favorite parts is that it was so normal for the mom to be absent on vacations that this <laughs> yes. guy would go with them on vacations like so that pool boy goes with them and mom was gone so much that the rest of the family not knowing why she was gone made t-shirts that said where's becky and the answer it would have been great if we could just put the answer getting plowed by the pool boy on the back yes oh my god can we make that just we should just sell sources becky was getting plowed by the pool boy yeah, I no feel other like context would sell like a hotcake. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. I love that. That was one of the funny, because like they did not have any idea that's what was happening. Well, and they literally got, made like, sure. These kids, these kids, these poor children who are adults, I mean, I shouldn't call them children, had no idea apparently. Um, and it's just so funny because this pool boy became like part of their family they said that it was like a third son which is just so gross to say to call that what that and so but he went to like all of their weddings and all of their family events and all of their vacations like how did they not know it it's unbelievable uh, like honest to god i don't i don't understand how I mean, but if you grow up in this, if you grow up in a house where you're convinced that your dad is this perfect man of God, and I don't, I'm not saying that that's necessarily how they viewed him, but it is possible that's how they viewed him. Then I guess I could see where your mind being so clouded by that, that image that he puts out for the rest of the world that maybe you could believe, like, no, there's no way that my mom is getting plowed by the pool boy. That's not godly. That's There's no chance. I don't yeah. Know. I don't know. I feel like there should be a GoFundMe for them to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I imagine they have plenty of money even after all this shit went down, but 
they need therapy for sure. They need therapy so, so badly. And now, you know, who knows? Maybe they are finding this out. And this guy's been out of their lives for a little bit now. And now they're like, oh, my gosh, this other guy, this other new pool boy, Jack. Now they're realizing here's who this person is or who like this guy was when I was growing up. You know, who knows how many pool boys there have been? Yeah, like, yeah, how many other pool boys have there been what like i i love that that uh hypothetical of the kid just being like yeah i mean now that i think about it the milkman came around a lot <laughs> and we didn't drink that much milk in our house or at least they didn't maybe maybe no. the milkman did oh sorry that was such a gross show <laughs> <laughs> mom was constantly just getting gallons of milk all the time delivered right to her bedroom door. Like, I don't get it. And dad was really into it. All this milk. Strong Didn't matter bones. That vitamin D. That vitamin Literally. D. Yeah, there you go. There it is. <laughs> this show's full of double entendres today. Yeah, it I, really well, is. I think that we should watch the documentary 100%. And yeah, then we'll we report should, back. We will. We, you and I both need to. I think it's a requirement of this show. Yeah. Uh, and we will report back. And and I highly encourage you all to watch it, too. It's called God Forbid, The Sex Scandal That Brought Down a Dynasty. Great name. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move into announcements now because we've got a lot. And then we'll go into our list, our election predictions, and under the radar first. Callie, do you want to tell people about the live show that we're doing after the election? Very exciting. Yes, I am thrilled about this. Uh, very excited. We are going to be hosting a uh, a post-election live show and election debrief at West Virginia University. I am pulling up all of the details on that now. They're all on our Instagram and our Twitter if you want to go and check that out. But it is for West Virginia University students, faculty, and staff. Um, It's going to be November 10th at 630. Uh, We're going to be speaking to the freshman class about the outcomes of the midterm elections and how they view the future of Appalachia. It's going to be Really fun. We're going to get a whole bunch of Zoomers talking on the show about what they feel and how they're viewing the future um, of of our great region. So if you are a student faculty or staff at WVU, um, you can register uh, at the link in our bio in our uh, Instagram or in our that's our link tree, basically, or our on our Twitter account as well. Uh, It's going to be great. It's going to be really, really fun. And I am just so excited to hear from you know folks who are 10 years younger than me nine eight years younger than i'm very me. excited about that i'm happy to be back in morgantown i actually need to make my hotel reservation soon very excited come see us come come hang out afterwards come say hi we're very much looking forward to seeing you and this will be our first time doing something live together so uh, the second thing we want to say is that a week from today, when this comes out, it's going to be Tuesday. So a week from today is election day. We're going to be doing a live stream that night. And I think, so I'm doing it on multiple platforms. I think I've got a service ready for us. that's going to allow us to broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And then I think we may also try to do it on Instagram. I have to pull up our phones for that. So phone and computer, we'll see. Might do a test run the day before. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be live streaming the election starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on that night. That would be November 8th, 2022. 
join us for that. Hopefully it won't be disappointing, but who knows? We'll see. And even if it is, you'll, uh, we'll get through it together. Yeah, you'll have people to commiserate with. That's right. Damn straight. Our live streams are fun and election ones are fun too. We're going to have some stuff coming out for you before that anyway too. So look for that and look for more updates on our social media about that as well. Now, last but not least, our Patreon. Excuse me. Callie, our Patreon. We love our Patreon members. Uh, that's how the. That's primarily how we financially support this show. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. We've got separate tiers. We've got bonus stuff, exclusives, all that, including live shows that we do on Zoom periodically, which we'll be doing another one, I'm sure, before the end of the year is up. We also give all of our members, including our new members, custom limericks, and you have two for us today. I do. I do. And I just, I want to make a, before I go into it, I want to make a quick pitch for Patreon and why you should be contributing. If you love the show, we need you. We need you to be uh, investing in, in the show is in the same way that we are, because we want this to become bigger. We want more people talking about Appalachia and we want more of the people that we are able to feature from candidates like we featured in the last two bonus episodes to um, like the folks that you'll hear from from Generation West Virginia later on in this episode. Um, we're so thrilled to be able to have a platform that can reach so many people and we can only do that because of Patreon. Um, and so Please, if you have ever considered joining, um, do it because we also have great exclusive content. The last one that we put out was about the return of the Kentucky Goblins, very Halloweeny, um, and it's got some some great stories of uh, recent sightings. So, if you're into cryptids, if you're into extra uh, hooting and hollering with me and Chuck, then join Patreon and support our work. So, on to the limericks. First, we have Tristan. Here we are raising drinks to our dear Tristan. If you aren't into baseball, you may have missed him. He's a damn good pitcher. He only gets quicker. Here's to him. We'll be- we believe he'll go the distance. Hell yeah. I love that. Ne- that was good. Yeah. Can- There's a limer competition. Look out, folks. I know. I get a lot of practice. And Tristan was a hard one. That was a very hard rhyming one. Um, and And this next one is too. Riley. Four lines for our new patron, Riley. In our fandom, it pays to be a little bit wily. We'll go <laughs> hunting goblins and eat candy till we're wobbling. Happy Halloween, y'all. Let's get smiley. Okay, that one was that, that was next level. I appreciate that. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that one. Well, let's move into our list, which is also going to be our election prediction. We've got the top five predictions for the 2022 midterms. Callie has her own. I've also got some, but... Why don't we lay a little bit of context here first about this election? It's um, how are you feeling, first of all? I think I'm feeling a little bit worse than I was a few weeks ago. Um, I, I started to uh, in the post row weeks and um, as kind of, you know, inflation got to be a, a little bit better and we saw student loan forgiveness and there were some things that I think really set up for a good um, outcome uh, from 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 the Democratic side. Uh, I think some of those things have either faded into the background or have been really well met with uh, oppositional Republican messaging on things like crime and inflation and um, like local issues that that are really resonating with people. Um, and so I was feeling pretty hopeful for some Democratic um, upsets 
But as of now, I think I'm feeling a little bit on the pessimistic side. What about you? Yeah, I wish that I weren't, but I'm with you. Um, it's It looks like it was, first of all, this is a year that is, any year that is the midterm election after a presidential Typically, the party in power, quote-unquote, meaning the president's party, usually is the one that suffers losses at the midterms. 2010 was historically bad for Barack Obama. 2018 was pretty bad for Donald Trump, so on and so forth. 2014, also bad for Obama. So we're working with historically bad environment. Now, it's really hard to tell, though, because... There's a lot of variables to this. The 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 post Roe world with Dobbs with the Dobbs decision and abortion could weigh very heavily for people, and it might motivate people to go out and turn out more so than they would normally in a midterm year in a non presidential year. But we've also got historically bad inflation. Uh, prices on everything are up. The market has been down consistently this entire year. So I'm I'm pretty concerned about that. And one thing, you know, I know the market is not the measure of the economy, but the market is oftentimes the measure of people's 401k and their retirement. And that is really where it hurts a lot of people. Like most people don't have money invested in the market. There are a lot of people, though, who have retirement funds and other funds tied to the market uh, myself included, my parents included. Um, and I mean, my dad was showing me just the returns cause he, he's in like a mutual fund or something with his retirement and just showing me the difference over a year. And it was staggering and, and terrifying. So that's gonna be weighing heavily on people. And I am, I'm honestly not very optimistic right now for Democrats chances. I, I don't know though. It's, it, it we could see a lot of surprises on election day. I'm going to say Excuse that. me. Yeah, I I think that that's entirely fair. Right now, some of the states are running so close and there've been some um what they like to call uh, on the like a insider baseball is it, the term is an October surprise. Um so things like Herschel Walker um coming out having these two abortion stories um that he has denied but have been corroborated and have been um very nearly confirmed. Um so those those things um you know definitely have impacted the way that I think a lot of of people view some of these candidates. But um, I talked to you about this, Chuck, and I listened to the most bonkers podcast I have heard in over a year the other day. It was um, a it was a New York Times podcast. It was one of their episodes on the it's called The Run Up and it was Grassroots Part One. And it was basically just uncut, full full-time 10-minute conversations with conservatives across the country. And some of my, like my takeaways from that are that number one, wow, um, I really sometimes find myself in a bubble and, and I'm glad that I, I work to take myself out of that a lot of times, but also just that the way that Republicans and Democrats vote is so different. Republicans are voting for Republicans because they have an R next to their name, and that is it. And they are voting for people because Donald Trump 
like had has graced them with his endorsement. And that's all they need. Whereas Democrats want to that a lot of especially young people wanted to see results now we wanted to see results happening in this term in the last two years and they haven't seen the exact amount or the direction or the right things that they wanted to see and instead of saying well I haven't seen what I want to see yet. I need to get to the polls and make sure that the party that I I know is going to do those things is going to continue to keep that power. I'm just not going to show up. And that's terrifying to me. And so uh, that podcast really, um, I recommend it to people who maybe like me or, or like Chuck consume a lot of liberal media. Um, and, and, and just, just, take that in, let it soak in. They, they found the, what I thought was like the one person in America who voted twice for Obama, twice for Trump, and who thinks that Joe Manchin is the best candidate for president in 2024. Like what? So it's, it's absolutely fascinating look into parts of our country that you may not be uh, totally in tune with. And that's kind of one of the things that's really gotten me worried. I'm with you. Um, it it it's worrying me too, and I think I I think because like the return on on results is just not instantaneous. It's not. We learned that in 2010 with the healthcare bill. We didn't start seeing benefits from the healthcare bill till like 2014. And same with stuff like infrastructure. Now, obviously, you know, student loan forgiveness it hasn't gone through yet, but like you've been able to apply for it. So there's some sort of tangible thing there. You know, we have the stimulus checks, of course, but those are a long time ago. So I just really don't, I don't know. It, I'm not, I'm not super optimistic. I think there could be some surprises. Who knows though? It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I think there's some couple of bellwethers though, that could be really interesting. A lot of these gubernatorial races, a lot of them mostly outside Appalachia, are going to be really interesting. I'm watching some closely in Oklahoma, for example, including their state superintendent election with Gina Nelson and Ryan Walters. That's the, They elect statewide their state superintendent of schools. There is a crazy Republican running, and this is Oklahoma, so a very Republican state, but... Polls have been showing it a tight race as well as the governor's election there, a tight race. So some interesting things could happen there. I'm not really sure. I I don't really do a lot of predicting because I don't find it to be all that helpful, but um, it is kind of fun to do. So why don't we do some of it? Let's do some of it. Right. I have uh, five predictions and we're just going to get Chuck's reaction to my predictions and see if they match up with his. Do you want to... Uh, I guess I guess I can I can start us off if you'd like. Um, my first prediction and the one that I think I'm most excited about is that I'm predicting that both Fetterman and Shapiro win in Pennsylvania. That is John Fetterman running for U.S. Senate and uh, Josh Shapiro, who is running for governor of Pennsylvania. I think we're going to see a, uh, a a sweep there um, with with those two seats. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Um I'm I'm with you. I I I think Fetterman has a slight edge, but I would not sleep on Dr. Oz winning. I'm not gonna necessarily 
say that Dr. Oz is going to win because, but he could, he, it's going to be, you re- got to predict real. Chuck. You got to predict. <sighs> it's getting a lot closer than people think. That's all I'll say. Um, I'm going to say that Fetterman edges him out, but don't be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. All right. I that's think that's it. totally I fair. Pick, I did pick one though. I did pick one. I, I think that's totally fair. What do you think about the governor's race there? I mean, Mastriano, he's just too nutty in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I think he's really kind of shown his ass. Yeah, I think he has. I think most most fu- like funding has dried up for him. I think Shapiro wins that one pretty comfortably. Hopefully. We'll see. Um, and I agree with your next prediction about the gubernatorial race in Maryland. Thankfully, you know, there's going to be some Democrat pickups. Yeah. So we have not talked about the Maryland gubernatorial um, yet on the show, I don't think. No, um, but there is an awesome candidate. So Larry Hogan, who most people know as the governor of Maryland, is is termed out. So he's not running. It's an open seat. And I predict that Wes Moore, who is the Democrat running in that race, wins handily in Maryland. Maryland. Uh, I think that Westmore has an excellent shot. He is an incredible politician. Um, he is uh, a just a smart, snappy guy. He wrote a book called The Other Westmore, um, and he he basically profiled himself and another kid in his neighborhood named Westmore who grew up and ended up in the system, ended up in prison. And as black men, how can he look at the outcomes of their lives and and talk about social issues? It's a, it's an awesome book. I read it a long time ago. Um, actually, my, my husband, Danny, he uh, read it in law school and recommended it to me. And so that was when I first became kind of aware of who Wes Moore was. And so when he started running, I was really excited about it. And I think he's run a great campaign and I think he's going to pull it out. Good flag. Good flag. That's a, you know, I I do too. I I think it's incredible that Maryland had a Republican governor for two entire terms. Same with uh, um, Massachusetts. And they were historically some of the most popular in the country. So governor's elections are very different. I mean, we could see, Republicans win in Oregon and New York, possibly. Yeah. Even. So it's it's wild. Um, what about Georgia? Georgia's going to be real interesting. Georgia is is the state that keeps me up at night, um, and I don't want to make this prediction um, because it's just it's so painful. I, I I do think that I, I, I'm predicting that Herschel Walker is going to win. The swing in his favor in the last week has been really steep. Um, so if you thought that because of the October surprises of his abortions, if you thought that that was the end of it, if you thought that was the nail in his coffin, well, that only worked for about a week. Um, and, and it did swing into Warnock's direction. But we're seeing now that Republicans, their messaging is, do you want to keep winning on the judiciary? Do you want to win on crime? Do you want to win on these things that Republicans will just they'll hold their nose and they'll vote for somebody? This is this is what I'm talking about. This is the difference between Republican voting and Democratic voting is that Republicans, because they understand the value of of simply having somebody in that seat who owes them something um, and who is is beholden to the party, um, they they will vote for him. And so I am 
I'm really worried about it. And I, my prediction is that Herschel Walker will win in Georgia. I was going to say the same thing. Then I started thinking about it. So Georgia's one where it can go, where it will likely go to a runoff. Um, because I don't think that you have to crack 50% in the, the election in order to avoid a runoff. I don't think they will. It's what happened last time. I think that Herschel Walker wins. However, if, if the Senate is evenly divided at a 49, 49, 49, or what is it? 49, 50. If it's evenly divided at 49-50 and this race and a runoff will decide who controls the Senate, I think that Warnock has the edge because I think that they'll be able to mobilize voters more efficiently after that. But I don't don't know. know. That's a great point. Um, I I also I agree that it's going to go to a runoff. Um, my hesitation there is that all of these attacks on Herschel Walker will have had time to not only steep in people's minds, but also fall to the back of their minds. And um, if we think that just because we won in Georgia in a Georgia special last time that we're going to win again, I think the Republicans saw what that did and it scared the hell out of them. And I don't know if they're going to let that happen again. And and so I that's why I I think that Walker has some steam behind him. But I agree with you that, it, you know, there's there's a lot up in the air here. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's just it's scary. And, and Georgia is just going to continue to keep us all up at night. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right. And I don't think Stacey Abrams pulls it off either. I yeah, I think that's going to be cut and dry. Yeah. What about North Carolina? Sherry Beasley, Ted Bud. Look, my home state. I love you, North Carolina. Um, I think that Sherry Beasley's goose is cooked. Um, I I really I hate to say it, uh, but I think that Ted Bud was just too agreeable. There was there was nothing too bombastic about him. And they have been hitting Sherry Beasley so hard in the ads for being light on crime, saying that she she herself released rapists, child rapists from from prison. And, you know, and very much like the Willie Horton style of 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 advertisement. Um, so she's been just absolutely hammered on the airwaves because Republicans just have more money in North Carolina. Um, so while I, uh, I really pray for some miracle, I I don't think we're going to see a miracle in North Carolina. Yeah. I wish that you were wrong, but I have to agree with you. I just think that if it were, a year like 2018, I think a lot of these races would, I would be way more comfortable saying Fetterman wins. I would be way more comfortable saying Warnock wins. I'd be comfortable saying Sherry Beasley has the edge, etc. But given the environment and how, I guess, vanilla Ted Budd is in comparison to who else is running <laughs> this cycle, um, which he's not, but in comparison to Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, he is. Um, so yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Now, then the the race that I think we're probably all most interested in is Ohio. But first, before that, Kentucky. Is there any chance that Rand Paul loses? I don't think so. 
Sadly, I agree. I, we had to say, I even have my hood to the holler poster in the background there, but I know I love it. And I love Charles Booker. I honestly, you and I have talked about this and we totally agree on it. We wish that Charles Booker would run for mayor of Louisville. Um, Like just keep stacking the credibility, keep fighting. I don't want him to go anywhere. I don't want him to get so burned out on these campaigns and on losing a Senate race that has taken so much out of him. Like this man has put his, blood and guts out there for us and I, I i love charles booker and i i don't want to see him burned out and so i i hope that he next time um maybe like just pick something that not not that I, you know is winnable that's not even what i want to say what i want to say is something that is not going to be like so quite so painful to go through senate races are hard they take a lot out of you they take so much out of a candidate and out of family time and i think that he needs to maybe take a step back maybe focus on hood to holler they have an incredible incredible team there um elizabeth sawyer is their ceo she's absolutely fabulous i have a um a conversation with her in a couple of weeks um to kind of see where we are post-election um and so i you know i i really believe in all of the work that he's doing um and i just i hope that he does not get so burned out on these two senate races and by the end of it hope that that he is is still energized and able to be that Charles Booker that we all love. I completely agree. I hope he goes nowhere. I'm I'm anxious to see what he does after this because he is such an important figure and one that's motivating people in Kentucky and giving people hope in Kentucky. That's exactly what they need, uh, especially when being represented by people like Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. So yeah, when, he gives me you? hope. I mean, the whole region. Like, I just he's the kind of leader that I want, um, and so that's why I just like I hope. Charles, if you're listening, we love you. Please don't go anywhere. And I will say too, like I, this race has always been uphill and he had like a 0.01% chance of winning when he started. He's moved the ball forward and he's brought more people in. And the, it's important to run via like credible campaigns in difficult states, credible Senate campaigns in difficult states like Kentucky and run them with quality candidates like Charles Booker because you give people an option, but you also start to till more fertile ground for organizing and for activism. And that's important. It gets ignored a lot. Absolutely. He's brought so many young people in too. That's yes. been huge as well. So I, yeah, I, I could not agree more. It, what, whatever, everything you said, spot on. All right. Ohio, lay it Ohio. on me. J.D. Vance, Tim Ryan, the worst possible candidate in that race versus probably the best possible candidate in that race. Yeah. For the Democrats. Uh, what, what have you got? Cause I'm going to go on a limb on this one. Okay. But I want to hear your thoughts. So first off, I just want to say that Tim Ryan has run my favorite campaign of the entire cycle. I think he has nailed it. His team has nailed it. They have done everything right. They have thrown everything they've had at it. They've done every single messaging thing right. Like I just, I I have so much respect for him and for how he has truly changed his his whole approach. He's a different candidate than he has ever been. And he's a better candidate than he's ever been. Um, So with that said, I think that Ohio is in this cycle, the 
the the tilt with with the country, with the, it being a midterm election, with it being somebody like J.D. Vance, who does not come across as extreme. Um, I think that he is going to pull it out. Um, and he being J.D. Vance, I think J.D. Vance is going to win, uh, unfortunately. And there, I, I only say that because like, you know, I was putting together decks for, uh, you know, for where are where the big candidates stand on climate change and on trans rights and on abortion and some of the main issues that our listeners care about. And out of all of the people running, it was harder to find quotes on those things for J.D. Vance than it was for everybody else because he has kept his lid on and because he went off to San Francisco, tried to be liberal. He wanted everybody to like him there and then came back and just kind of changed. He's so he's such an unknown quantity that like there's not that much bad about him that is out there and that is in the kind of public sphere. And the way that Tim Ryan has been combating these ads is not to counterattack. It's just basically saying JD's lying again about me, like here's my record. And while I think that's the right approach, I do think that people don't know why they should be scared of JD Vance in like the regular non-Appalachia bubble that we live in. I think we are so inundated with JD Vance hate for a good reason. Um, but I don't think that your regular Ohioan knows the damage done by Hillbilly Elegy and JD Vance. And so I think that because he's been able to keep his kind of moderate facade, even though we all know he is extreme in his views. Um, but we're talking about average voters here. Uh, I do think that he's going to be able to win. That was one of the best summaries of that race that I've heard so far. Thank you. And I, before we started, before you started rather, I was going to, I was, and maybe, I don't know. I, like I wanted to pick the alt viewpoint here and say despite all the powerful evidence against tim ryan winning despite all of this logic all of these polling all that stuff i want to believe that he can eke out a win i really yeah. do and 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 i know that you're probably I know, you are right i'm not saying you're not right you are right however for the sake of this we need to have a. We need to have somebody believe it on this. Even if I go crashing down in flames, which I may, I and I'm love acknowledging. It. I'm acknowledging this, and I've acknowledged this. I, I have planted the seeds for this since he announced. All right, I have. I've said JD Vance is the favorite. I've never been like, oh, nobody's gonna vote for him. Fuck that. Yeah, Tim Ryan. Like it's always it's in the bag since day one. I've never been that. It's always been a tough state. JD Vance has always been the favorite, ever since he won the nomination anyway, and. And by one, I mean was given it by Donald Trump. Right. All J.D. Mandel. J.D. Mandel, baby. All can <laughs> ask kisser in chief. All conventional wisdom points towards J.D. Vance. I understand that. I acknowledge that. And I am blinded by my own hatred for the man. I am. Yeah. But I want to be a believer on this show. And I'm going to I'm gonna just say, I'm just going to say that my prediction is that there's going to be an upset and this is it. I might, I'm probably going to be wrong. But that's my official prediction. Take it or leave it. 
I respect it. I respect it. And I believe in hope too. Um, I, I, you know, I approach this as like my political junkie brain and like a political analyst. And so just smart. I, I wanted to, I wanted to give my, my, my true impressions of these races to y'all. But if we're being honest, I am hoping, I am hoping that Charles Booker creates some sort of, of groundswell that we didn't see. I'm hoping that Raphael Warnock brings all the fucking souls to the polls. I I want to believe that Sherry Beasley will will righteously win because Ted Budd is bad for North Carolina. And I want to believe Tim Ryan is going to win. And so I do think that there is value in having hope and there is value in in despite all the odds saying I'm in 100 percent. So I respect it. I respect it. Thank you. That's why we're such a good partnership. It's I want to have hope without leading people on and giving them this false sense that like this is in the bag. It's not. It's it, it, Tim Ryan's chances of winning are probably like three in ten. But having hope, bringing it home. Why not? Um, you got to have some. Okay, so yeah. my last question for you is: of all these, what what do you see as a potential upset to what you've just said, or any other race doesn't have to be in Appalachia that you're Actually, let me reprint. Let me, let me roll back. What's one race outside of Appalachia that you're interested in and watching? Ooh, that's really interesting. Uh, a great question. I, um, I am really, really invested in the, um, in the Carrie Lake, Katie Hobbs mm. race. Mm-hmm. Because I think Arizona the Carrie Lake, yeah, the, yeah, Arizona governor. I'm sorry, I should have said that before I said anything else. It's okay. Um, I really think I watched interviews with them back to back, and Carrie Lake is absolutely terrifying. Absolutely yeah. terrifying. Um, basically, you ask her how her day is going, and she says the election was stolen. <laughs> That's how much that she is in the pocket of Donald Trump. She's been on TV for almost 20 years. She has the personality and the poise and the confidence on air mm-hmm. that is just stunning. And and it, it 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 arouses confidence in her. I watched Katie Hobbs and the question from the interviewers were was why won't you debate your your partner? Like why won't you debate Carrie Lake, your opponent? And she's like, well, this is just how I've chosen to run my campaign. She didn't give a real answer. And we all know it's because Carrie Lake has been on television. She knows how to handle those situations. It's very similar to why Fetterman did not want to debate Oz. Oz looked great. He sounded great. The only thing I think that saved Fetterman was that Oz made a gaffe. And it was a viral gaffe. It was a sound bite. And you could not totally capture Fetterman's speech difficulties, um, which we should probably talk about that a little bit. Um, I know that you had a a rant to go on about that, Mm. Um, but you couldn't really capture his speech difficulties in a soundbite. So people weren't watching like three minute clips to get the whole the whole view of how Fetterman was. They were watching that 45 second clip of 
of Oz saying that he thinks that it should be between women, their doctors and local politicians. And that's scary as hell. And that that is why, like, I think that Katie Hobbs didn't want to interview Carrie Lake because, you know, there's no guarantee that somebody who's been on television for 20 years is going to make a gaffe like that. And if you're not confident on stage, you're going to be fucked. And so uh, I'm looking out for that one. I also um, I, I just I think that I think that Arizona in and of itself, all the races there are really interesting. I am super, super rooting for Mark Kelly. Um, I I want to see him win. Um, I, I think that Mark Kelly could potentially be a presidential um, hopeful in the future, if not in 24, maybe in, in 20 or sorry, 28. Um because I think that his story as an astronaut, along with his wife, Gabby Gifford's story, uh, I think could really inspire millions of people. Um, so I, I want to see him win. Um, so I think I'm really most invested in Arizona at the moment. What about you? Arizona's a big one. That's definitely one I'm watching. Um, Carrie Lake is horrifying, and she'll have yeah. a lot of say in 2024 election if she wins, because she'll be governor of Arizona. Um, for me, it's probably my house race that I'm a new resident of the Virginia 7th Congressional District. And uh, it's, a Abigail's, it's a big one. Abigail Spamberger is the incumbent. She's a former CIA officer, Democrat, like a centrist Democrat, but a decent one. And in a difficult district like this, I think it generally the race tends to favor her. But in a year like this, it could be an upset. And yes, Lee Vega is her opponent. She's a former police officer got good, like, good, looks good on paper kind of thing. So yeah. it, it could be a really devastating one. Uh, and I'm also watching statewide elections in Oklahoma. I think there yeah. are going to be, I think they could be interesting. It could be a blowout, unfortunately, but they also could be interesting. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that'll be, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think we should all just be watching DeSantis. Just, I know he's going to win, but we need to be watching him and learning um, about him early so that we know how to combat his bullshit. Yeah. What I will say about him, I think he's way overrated. Like, I do think that he'll be a contender for president if Trump doesn't win or doesn't run, maybe even if he does, but he's not charismatic. I saw, I watched the debate. Like, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good. And, like you put him up against Donald Trump on a debate stage, you'll get eaten alive. Yeah, I think I think so, too. Also, um, I've heard some conspiracy theories about presidential heights. Um, and uh, we in in the TV era, the shortest president that we have elected was Jimmy Carter. And he was five, nine, I believe, um, back in his heyday. And uh, so we really don't elect um, we don't elect short presidents, which I, I, I don't I don't love that. I love a short king um i'm married to a short king um so i i that's like a, a real bummer to me um that that we don't but he ron DeSantis, is not very tall either I, I need to look up how tall he is but that five nine five nine yeah so he is shorter and and like he will you know on a debate stage look smaller than uh and stouter than trump so there's something yeah. potentially to be said for that um you know, it's 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 an interesting theory. Who knows? Um, yeah, those are our predictions. I'm sorry it couldn't be more flowy, flowery, full of hope. I gave you some hope. I gave you all some hope. So take that, enjoy it. 
And uh, let's move on to our under the radar segment. Callie, do you want to give a quick intro before we go to the interview? Yeah, absolutely. So I had the opportunity to speak with folks from Generation West Virginia and their new force uh, program there. This is a, a program that invests in West Virginians to get them the skills that they need to enter the tech industry in West Virginia. So that's everything from software development to coding. Um, and I spoke to the director of the program as well as one of, as an alumni. And what's great about this is that it's free of charge. They take two classes of 20 every year. Um, and you learn everything that you need to start a career in tech. And the guy that I, that we spoke with, John was fabulous. He's a, a whole homesteader goat farmer by trade and he also does software development and so if that's something that you're interested in generation west virginia is for you we were hoping to to be able to to host them to have them on at some point i'm really glad that we finally were able to get them on they're absolutely an invaluable resource to our region and uh hopefully one that can inspire more states to do programs like this free of charge for residents who are looking to make a better life for themselves. Hell yeah, completely agree. Well, I was sad I couldn't be there for it, but I um, I enjoyed listening to it. I think it's great. I think that Generation West Virginia is a great organization, and I think that you all will enjoy this too. So let's get to it. Let's start with you, if you might, would mind introducing yourself. Yeah. Hey, I'm Jordan Castello. I am the program director of New Force, which is a program of Generation West Virginia. John? Yeah, um, I'm John Newton. I'm a uh, New Force alumni, and I'm a software engineer at Duo Security. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to have you both um, for this, what's going to be an amazing segment for Appod Lacha. So I would really like for you all to, I've read the website. It looks amazing. The mission of Generation West Virginia is fabulous, but I'm wondering, Jordan, if you could give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to Generation West Virginia, um, kind of from your perspective as one of the, the founders of it. Yes. Um, so Generation West Virginia is a nonprofit dedicated to attracting, retaining, and advancing young folks in West Virginia. So we're really trying to like keep young folks here and show them that they can leave, lead fulfilling lives right here at home. And one of the many ways we do that is through connecting young people to jobs. And we hold the definition of young people pretty loosely here. I mean, we've, we've trained people up through their 50s. So it's kind of just like people um, in our case. And so we know that people stay in West Virginia if they have access to fulfilling career paths. And so we found a new force to connect West Virginians to career paths in tech, which is a very high growth career with a pretty low barrier of entry. So that's why we found a new force. It's a six month training program and we take people with no coding experience, put them through training and then connect them to open tech jobs in West Virginia. What an amazing just mission. That's so awesome. Jordan, you've been part of the team um, since its founding. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration for starting um, not just a program in tech in West Virginia, but like even reaching out to people who 
maybe have one career already or maybe haven't found a path that's able to put food on the table 100% of the time, you know, how did it come together for the team? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So it was actually largely based on employer demand um, because we were running another program called the Impact Fellowship that was connecting West Virginians to all different kinds of jobs. And we realized through that process that so many of the jobs were in tech because it was such a fast growing industry that it almost like that deserved its own thing because the fellowship would have just become all tech people. And that's not really what we wanted it to be. So I think, you know, there was kind of the two sides. There was the employers saying, hey, we really need software developers and we can't find enough of them. Um, And we had people saying, hey, we really need a career path um, and we need it to be able to put food on the table consistently and we want to be able to stay here in the state. And so it was kind of like connecting those two sides of the equation. And that's how New Force was born. That is awesome. I I really, the mission in and of itself is something that obviously really resonates with our team at Podlacha, but it resonates with a lot of our listeners. A lot of us have been forced out of the place that we love um, and want to call home. And that's something that I felt, you know, when, when I first left Canton, we were talking about being from Western North Carolina earlier. Um, when I first left to go even to App State, it felt like, oh, this huge weight. And then from there, I wanted to do campaigns and learn the, all of the things that I needed to learn. And you just can't do that where I was. And it's, it's heartbreaking that that is the case for so many fields, so many people, so many areas of, of our region. And so I want to turn now to you, John, um, you're a graduate of the program, but what first led you to new force that take us back before you started, tell us about, you know, what, what your journey was to get you there. Sure. Um, I guess it's probably worthwhile to outline my journey to West Virginia because that that was sort of, um, everything was sort of incidental. Um, So um, I grew up in Philadelphia um, and spent the first 30 years of my life there. Um, I've worked a lot of jobs and, you know, across different industries, but um, by just, I guess, happenstance and luck, um, uh, there was a through line between technology and kind of service. Uh, so um, I wound up working for, for Apple for a number of years in an Apple store in Philadelphia. Um, that didn't progress the way I wanted. I decided to leave. Um, my wife's family owns a homestead uh, in West Virginia. Uh, and um, that led us down here just to try it out. It was, initially, it was just for a year. Um, the homestead is a working farm. So, you know, I contribute and help out there as well. Um, and I was able to kind of stumble back into remote work actually for Apple for a number of years um, until, like, once again, I just plateaued. So um, I was sort of weighing out all my options as far as where to go. I, I hit a ceiling. Um, I don't hold a four-year degree. And, uh, you know, I, and, I, and I had some uh, technical acumen, but, you know, not really enough uh, to fill a resume. So, um I was looking at uh, paid service boot camps and, you know, coding classes and even thinking about getting an associate's degree. And my wife stumbled on like, you know, kind of like a cross post through social media that led to New Force. And I think I submitted my application like 
maybe one or two days before the deadline. Um, but yeah, uh, I was able to interview, um, I met Jordan and, and, uh, Tommy, uh, and, you know, another instructor as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just felt like, a a common, you know, goal, a kinship with both of them, with everyone I met through the program, um, and got really excited about the potential and, um, and just knowing it was an organization that had like roots where, where I was. Um, so that's kind of what, you know, really helped me decide and, and start to, to make that transition. So before we move into your experience with New Force and, and the training, I'm supposed to ask you about being kicked by a goat as a homesteader. <laughs> so tell, tell us about that a little bit. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I mean, I've been... Uh... Um, I guess through the ringer with uh, a lot of different experiences since moving here. Um, so on the farm, we do have um, chickens. Uh, we raise uh, broilers for for uh, for poultry for meat. Um, we have hens for for eggs. Um, we have goats, and sometimes we have pigs as well. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, in the the way it kind of works for us is that uh, I'm responsible for like kind of all animals through the winter. Um, as we have a sort of a, a labor trade. Um, so there were often times during New Force where like before uh, class or on a lunch break uh, in the winter, I would suit up and like run out to like, you know, a goat barn or uh, a uh, uh, to a coop to, to, to do some work. And I mean, animals are animals, you know, you've got, you know, you may have code in your head and an objective or a, a meeting to catch, but they've got their own agenda. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been, kicked, bitten, you know, pushed over, wrestled, you know, and uh, uh, I think the list probably goes on from there. So um, if you ask me about being kicked in a goat, I, that's probably just a Thursday. Ah, perfect. <laughs> Love to hear that. So so here we have this crossroads of, of tech and of your, your homesteading life. So what was your experience like with New Force and, and actually studying and, and being on the ground with them? It, I mean, it was fantastic. I, I, I had a really positive experience. I, I mean, one thing I kind of, I'm sure I had a leg up in was um, sort of the schedule and the, the, the virtual environment. You know, we, we jumped in kind of as uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, and um, I, I, I'm certain that was a like a, just a sharp transition for a lot of, um, of my, you know, associates, my classmates and things like that. Um, but I, the, I think every cohort forms a bond and, you know, it's, it's a, like so many wonderful bonds. It's, and sometimes it's a trial by fire. Um, but, you know, you're absorbing so much knowledge. And, and the one thing I thought was extremely beneficial and that, you know, I, I never took for granted was that um, while I had some experience and some elements of the curriculum, um, there are a lot of people that, you know, didn't have those experiences. There's a lot of cooperation, you know, as like kind of tides swings back and forth. And as the program progresses, I think everybody natural kind of gravitates to to one element and, you know, maybe gets stronger in one skill set. So, you know, you work closely um, uh, together, you know, one on one, small groups and, and as a large classroom. So, you know, towards the end, you can sort of start to realize, oh, I'm weak here, but somebody else is strong here. So I'll partner up. That's amazing. That's it's rare that you find that kind of camaraderie 
outside of, you know, small cohorts. Um, so it's, that is, that's really, really awesome. So you now work, uh, back in, in software developing. Um, so, and that's what you studied with new force. So tell us about your position now and how did your studies with new force and generation West Virginia, how did they prepare you for that role? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a little bit about my position now. Um, I work uh, inside um, Duo Security is a um, uh, business unit of Cisco. Um, so they're a former acquisition um, that Cisco made a few years ago. So we sit in the um, security side of uh, the, the larger Cisco umbrella. And our main like kind of purpose or, or main product um, is multi-factor authentication for uh, users inside of you know, organizations big and small to have one additional step in it in regards to the password to help them log in. Um, behind the scenes, there's a lot that happens to, to make that happen and to um, stay sharp in the industry and sort of stay ahead of um, uh, needs of the user and also security uh, constraints that, that may be up and coming. Um, that being said, uh, I sit on kind of the data side of things um, which was um, a, a bit of a, a sharp turn. Uh, is a lot of technology there that was, you know, long and past uh, my um, New Force curriculum. Um, but um, New Force, I think, helped me in a lot of ways. One of which um, that was not my first job uh, outside of uh, the cohort. Um, I was first hired by a, um, a New Force. Um, uh, uh, career partner. Um, so um, that in itself, that experience taught me a great deal. Um, but I think that the the one thing that the six months really fortified was um, being okay to walk into a room, into an environment where you don't have all the knowledge um, and being confident in your ability to find the resources to sort of skill up, to, to understand, to apply contacts and, and, you know, to continue learning. So um, all of those skills I you know use every day now in, in my current role. That's amazing, Jordan. I I want to ask you as I I mean it's still like a relatively new organization. Twenty eighteen is not is not that long ago. How does it feel to be on the other side of graduations and to see folks who have gone through the program succeeding? I, what does that feel like for for you for your team? That's a great question. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I think, you know, we work really closely with students for six months and then eventually we get a call that's like, I got a job and we all just like pop the champagne and it's so fun. And, and I think one of the really cool things for me, yeah, so our, our program was founded in 2018. So now we have graduates like John who are maybe on their second or even their third job and they're out in the industry and advancing and you get to see them like making these really real contributions to their companies. So like, I just talked to a graduate yesterday who just like made a very important decision for his workplace to basically make a piece of software accessible to be used in libraries. Like he had a choice to either build it in a way that wouldn't work with a very old version of Internet Explorer <laughs> that they still use in libraries. And he was like, no, I want to make sure that people can use this in libraries because some people don't have computers at home and like this needs to be an accessible product. So he he rebuilt a bunch of stuff so that this code would run in a very old version of Internet Explorer. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're making such a difference. Like you just made a difference in so many people's lives. So stuff like that, like stories like that 
are why we do this and why it's so important to get people from all different backgrounds into tech, not just for them, but for the sake of everyone who uses technology. Yeah, I, I would I'm, I would imagine that having someone who maybe has benefited from a library mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in their life would make decisions like that. And, and it's rare that you hear of um, that kind of empathy and uh, that kind of outreach in the tech community. Um, so it's it's really wonderful to hear about about folks actually making those extra steps and extra efforts to make things accessible. And, and also just like West Virginians thriving is something that we always like to see. So, um, I, before we kind of turn toward the the end of the conversation, I, I wanted to ask each of you, if you had a piece of advice for people who are struggling to find their path, um, what would that be? And um, Jordan, let's start with you. Yeah. Um, I think it never hurts to try things. And, and and there are lots of low impact, kind of low risk ways to try and experiment with different paths. So like, for example, with software development, um, we have a free course for just trying to code and you just do it on your own time. And you can just kind of get your feet wet. And there's lots of other courses like that out there. Like if you just Google like, you know, free intro coding course, you will find a million options and you can kind of just experiment. And I think it really is like about testing things and then seeing what you like and what you feel like you can imagine doing all day, even if you don't do it all day right now. So I think there are little ways to kind of sample different industries like that. Yeah. John, what about you? Yeah, I, I um, completely agree with Jordan. And um, I, I think that the one thing that like has helped me and, and that I've seen, you know, time and time again, especially when it comes to really any kind of like career change, you know, in life early, you know, mid, late, whatever the case may be in your professional career, um, you know, you are a uh, collection of experiences, you know, and um, all those experiences even if it doesn't directly apply to the industry, like on face value, sort of enrich your perspective and and help to like diversify both decision making, as Jordan outlined, um, and problem solving. You know how to approach to solve a problem. So that 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 kind of gives you sort of like a, a secret, you know, secret power to come in and make a difference. And um, and that's the one thing too. I think that helps no matter what job you take, there's always most likely going to be the chance of imposter syndrome. So it's really just like turning to that side of the scale to to rebalance things that, you know, I think is is helpful. So, Yeah, that's great advice from both of you. So getting down to brass tacks here, um, what does it take to be in uh, in New Force? What what does the application process look like? Yep. That's a, that's a good question. So we take about 20 students per cohort and we have about two cohorts per year. Um, and that number is based on what we project the employer demand to be. So we really don't want to graduate more people than there are jobs that we can see out there because that doesn't help anybody. So that's why we cap it at the number that we're capping it at. Um, we have a written application that you fill out first. And if you can fill out the written application and show us that you've got 
some motivation to join the tech industry, some kind of elements of like curiosity and ability to work on a team, then we will bring you back for interviews. Um, and we're really looking for people who are going to be like good at kind of learning on the fly and good at working and collaborating in groups because software development, contrary to a lot of stereotypes, is really a team sport. Um, so those are kind of the qualities that we screen for and introduced just with this cohort. So for the next cohort, um, which begins in February, we actually have need-based living stipends available for people who um, are financially el eligible. So we will also use the interview process to kind of screen and determine eligibility too. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, but you don't need any, no other prior, do you need a degree? Do you need a any anything in your background other than that team, you know, ability to work on a team and the, the curiosity? Yeah, no, you don't. You don't need any degree. Um, in fact, I don't have a college degree, so you definitely don't need a degree. You don't need any coding experience. It helps to have, to have tried a tiny bit of coding just so you can establish that you like it. Like we don't want to train anybody for a job they're going to, absolutely hate. So if you try a little bit and you like it, that's all we need. Um, and even if you haven't tried it, well, it'll be fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. So where can they find the application? Yeah, they can find the application on our website, which is generation. Ooh. <laughs> <It's> generation... <laughs> is it generation West Virginia or generation WV? It's generation WV.org slash programs slash new forest slash apply. Awesome. Um, and if you already have a job you love, or if you don't need to, uh, you know, be part of a cohort, or if you have some disposable income, or, or how can people support this program? That's a great question. Um, we we don't do a lot of like individualized fundraising right now. Um, although I think that's maybe something that we might do in the future for people who kind of want to pay it forward. Um, at the moment, we are looking for mentors. So if you already work in the tech industry or in a tech adjacent industry, we would love to talk to you about helping students or helping alumni kind of find their path after graduation. So definitely get in touch with us if that's you. That's awesome. And can I add on the Jordan's answer mm -hmm. as well? I think um, also indispensably, um, New Force and Generation West Virginia has a social media presence. Yes. So follow, like, subscribe, and especially on LinkedIn, reposting, you know, really helps the the community and the organization just sort of broaden that voice. So thanks. That's Dad. that is a great note. Um that's very good. So yes, and, and it's to say generation WV uh and all of the all of the ats, I guess. I'm I'm losing my mind. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I last thing um, I, I just wanted to say, did we miss anything? Is there anything you would like to add um, on to this conversation that that we have not been able to hit on yet? I think one thing I would just add um, that I probably should have said and forgot is that we are tuition free. So there is no upfront cost. Um, and that's we're funded through a combination of grants. So that's a pretty important part that I wanted to make sure we mentioned. Yes, absolutely. That is, that's huge and such a, such a benefit to the community. Um, John, you have any last thoughts? Um, I'd just say that like, you know, if you're looking to try anything new and especially if it's technology, just like get out there and, and give it a try. And um, there are 
so many um, uh, courses and, and classes and even new for sort of asynchronous curriculum available as well. Um, at the, I guess the two points I would make to anyone who is thinking about either new force or career change is for technology, if, you, if you're studying, try to think of a simple problem to solve and then try to see if you can fix that using your technology and, and the, the, the information you've learned. Applied knowledge goes so far. Um, and the second is that, you know, we're talking about career changes. So like interviewing, interviewing matters. Um, so um, even if you have like uh, a friend, a family member, you know, um, a, a partner, anyone, you know, uh, probably a, a sentient animal, um, just grab them and, and have them just be the other half of the interviewer, you know, ask them sort of like just standard and generic interview questions just for that practice to get to be more natural and, and to, to be more at ease. So those, those would be my two, two points. That's perfect. So like a goat, for example. Like a yeah. Friend. Yeah. Could yeah, grab my yeah, cat like who's they, over here. They know all. Oh, there we go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan and John, thank you so much for for spending time with us, for spreading the word about this invaluable program in West Virginia. Hopefully, maybe you'll inspire some other states to do this as well. This is huge um, and so, so incredible. So thank you very, very much. Thanks so much for having us, Callie. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye, you guys. Bye. Thank you. All right. That was our interview. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week, maybe. I don't know. Are we going to take the week off for the election or nah? We got something planned? Can't even remember. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll be back sometime, probably next week, with more at Pod Latchet. Thank you. Check out our live stream. Check out our live show and all the other stuff, and we will talk to you soon. All right. That's it.